there's a lot of work right now and forces in the world right now that really encourage you to see things in simple terms. And I think all of the great problems of our time and going forward are the ones that we only understand how to address if we're sort of willing to work in the complexity of the middle ground. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. You know, there are a few broad themes that unite much of what we talk about here at A New Angle. Growth and how it affects our community is certainly one of them. It started early on in the podcast with my conversation with Mayor John Engen. When I asked the mayor about growth, he told me to read some of the manuals that he and his team had put together on the topic. And at the time, I wasn't quite savvy enough of an interviewer to push back and ask what was actually in those manuals. Later, we talked to MoFi's Dave Glazier. We talked to the Zach's Kia Lizak. We also recently spoke with Logjam's Nick Chakota, all about growth. And today, we bring you a conversation with Grant Keir that takes the topic head on. Grant is the executive director of the Missoula Economic Partnership, and it's his job to grapple with the topic of growth every day. It was great to learn more about Grant's path to this work and how it shaped his perspective. I'm excited for you to learn all about MEP and Grant Keir right now. Okay, so we're here today with Grant Keir. Grant, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, it's taken a long while to get this done. Uh, I think this is job number three in my uh, uh, that you've had since I've been sort of courting you to come on. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming. I'm really thrilled to be here. So now you're executive director of Missoula Economic Partnership. I want to talk about how you got there. But before we do, what is the Missoula Economic Partnership? Yeah, it's a, I think it lives up to its name. It's really a collection, a partnership of public and private parties who are working together to expand prosperity in Missoula while we protect our quality of life. Um, in my opinion, that's a tough challenge. It's hard to balance those things, but people who are deeply committed to seeing both of those things move forward in our community together. And what are some of these, who are some of these partners? So we've got a great partnership with the city and the county who are on board and members of our board of directors, but some of our larger businesses in town, the hospitals, mm-hmm. um, Blackfoot Communication, Legions Healthcare. Uh, we've got uh, a number of smaller businesses, too, on the board. So it's a collection of uh, public agencies and, and government representatives and private businesses in the private sector. And then we have great partnership with the University of Montana, mm-hmm. uh, the Missoula County Public Schools, uh, and others as well. So trying to bring the sort of whole collection of people who whose work has an impact on people's prosperity. Yeah, and so this is an organization interested in economic development, but a nonprofit organization and Nonprofit yeah. has been sort of your home for many years. Yeah. I mean, we met, you were executive director of the Five Valleys Land Trust. It's a hugely successful um, organization here in Missoula. Uh, how long were you there? So I was at Five Valleys for 10 years. Wow. And your wife's on faculty here, right? Remind she is, me yes. what department. Uh, she is in the geosciences department. That's a, she's like a total superstar in her she's world. She's a total superstar, yes. She's the uh, smartest person I know, period. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's really strong in her field, and she's also uh, an amazing friend and great partner in life and an incredible mom. As it should be. So let's talk a little bit about um, kind of your decision to leave Five Valleys, I'm interested in. And, and you left Five Valleys to make a, a run for Congress. That's right. Yeah. What kind of motivated that? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that anyone who knows me well and has known me well knew that um, I just absolutely loved and was passionate about the mission and the work at Five Valleys Land mm-hmm. Trust. Um, but my experience there um, had really given me a huge opportunity to sort of bridge this rural and urban divide in Montana. It served 11 co- counties in western Montana. A great deal of our success was sitting down um, across sort of the rural and urban divide and political divides and just starting to build relationships over the long term to assess how people set goals and how to support people in achieving goals that are shared between our organization at the time in conservation sure. and small business owners or large business owners in family farms and ranches. And um, and it was the work of working in, in those rural communities and seeing people succeed at accomplishing amazing things for Western Montana and really, in my opinion, for the sort of legacy of humankind, mm-hmm. um, perpetual conservation. and. And to see that happen with people finding common ground and deep respect for one another. And and towards the end of my career, I felt like I had set a lot of big goals for the organization that I had achieved. I, there was this huge pool right. of incredibly talented people working for me who I knew were sort of hungry for more opportunities. And it felt like a really good time for me to step away. And I, and I was highly motivated by the political climate at the time, which I think... Yeah, is, you're not alone. Yeah, but was, you did something about it. Yeah, well, that yeah. was uh, that was what what it came down to for my wife and I is that everything we had seen successful in our lives was about looking past differences and finding commonalities, and we kept seeing more and more a political climate where leaders were using division as a tool to rally people, and it troubled us deeply to have, you know, we moved back to the United States from England. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily to raise a child and to raise a child in an environment where she believed she could be whatever she wanted in the future. And we suddenly saw a level of discord in our communities that troubled us about her future and our future. And we sort of sat down together and said, what can we do about this? And what's the most we can do about this? And a run for Congress was uh, our conclusion. Yeah, that must have been a shock to the family in a way. I mean, you had a family discussion about doing it, but then the actual doing it is... Yeah, I, there, it's, it's hard to, it, it would be a three-hour podcast yeah, exactly. to convey the level of disruption that that creates in one's life. Um, you certainly come out of that experience with a deep and profound respect for everybody who goes through it. Uh, it was the most disruptive thing that's happened in our lives. It was the most challenging thing that I've ever done in my life. Uh-huh. I think that, I think without question, that's true for my wife too. We really did this as a team. Yeah. Um, and despite not winning in the primary, it was without question the most rewarding thing I've done in my life as well. So talk a little bit more about that urban-rural divide. You mentioned working around, particularly at Five Valleys and then in the run for Congress. I mean, It's something I've heard described. I mean, there's organizations that are directly working on it. What is the urban-rural divide? Like, what, is it, what does it mean to your experience? Yeah, um, that's great. A great question. I think in my experience, um, it is about these sort of distinct cultures that get set up. And I think in many ways, um, what are perceived to be distinct value sets. Yeah. Um, I think what really attracted me to the work at Five Valleys and inspired me to run for Congress in Montana is that so many of our values are shared across that divide. Yeah. The reality is that a lot of the complexities of day-to-day life are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that creates and lends itself to people feeling very different and alienated from one another. But I think when people sit down and look at the things they want to see in the future, good schools for their kids, uh, reliable and clean water to drink, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, freedom to express yourself and to choose your belief systems. A lot of those things are transcend um, what are perceived to be pretty strong differences, whether or not you drive a big truck or a small Prius, um, I think are really pretty incidental differences between people, but I think they are perceived to be um, expressions of much bigger gaps than people see or, or experience in reality. Yeah, are there things that you found um, or tactics or ways of talking or communicating that seem to be more or less successful in sort of helping people either on the urban side see the realities that are happening in rural or people on the rural side understanding urban a little bit better? Yeah, I think w one of the nice things about working in perpetual conservation <laughs> is that you can be patient. Um, and I think, uh, I think if you're honest, authentic, and you listen more than you talk, um, it's pretty easy to start to tease out where the values are shared and where they aren't. Right. And then you just learn to lean into those places where the value sets are shared mm -hmm. and to tread lightly and be respectful where they aren't and give people space to have their own belief systems and um, not feel like you need to be disruptive or call those out. Um, and when you do that effectively over time, you get a body of people that are more and more excited to work with you, that believe in you, and that ultimately, I think, believe you respect them and sure. trust that you're there to help them achieve their own goals. That makes sense. And it would seem that, you know, in this, particularly in the conservation space, thinking of preserving the value set or for future generations, there must be opportunities to bond around children and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So and I think, um, and uh, there's the simple and obvious ones of, of just what we love about Montana, wildlife and access to open space and clean water. But I, as you dig deeper into the issues and doing conservation work, and frankly, this sort of, I guess, guides us into the conversation about why MEP after mm -hmm. all this. Yeah. Um, you realize that there are these really complex network of issues at stake that are expressed both in rural and urban communities. The, the need to fund infrastructure, the incredible cost of creating affordable but quality education for young people. Um, you know, when you're working in a rural community, rural health care and access to rural health care. And yeah. the things that we sometimes take for granted in urban areas are really precious and sort of like held together on a knife's edge for mm -hmm. a lot of r rural communities. And so um, what we learned is it's not enough to say we really want to protect the ground that you grow your food on or that you're raising your cattle on and that these, these wildlife enjoy. We've got to be sensitive to and understand how complex it is for you to know that you can only pass the ranch on to the next generation if there's a school for their children sure. and a hospital for your parents. And so we sort of learned about the role that we could play in helping communities, rural communities and rural families sort of elevate their issues, uh, attract sort of capital to invest in other things that weren't just conservation. So mm -hmm. that we were thinking and mindful of all the things that make a community healthy and strong and, and frankly, viable for the future. And so now you're tasked with figuring that out for Missoula, not just you, but you and you know, you're at the center of a lot of these conversations and. You know, the urban-rural divide in this context is interesting because you look at Missoula County, like there's kind of an urban-rural divide within the county, but also the city itself is growing at a, at a really fast rate right now. And yeah. some of these questions about how much growth is okay and what should that growth look like, I mean, these, this is the world that you're swimming in right now. That's right. And, and frankly, what attracted me to this job after the run for Congress yeah. was, um, I, you know, having grown up in the West, who grew up in Colorado, uh, I, I genuinely believe, having grown up here and lived in other parts of the world, there are very few opportunities to get 
this right. Yeah. To really understand how you grow a community to the benefit of the people in it and not to the detriment of the people here by sort of replacing them mm. with other people who come in with more wealth and um, sort of spread them out and then change the nature and the character of a community. So it's a very interesting time. It's what attracted me to the job. I think that we're at a real crossroads as a community. And I, 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 I was attracted to the job because I'm right at the leading edge of those issues. But I also believe we have a, a board of directors and a team on staff and a body of supporters who are also very thoughtful about that. And then you know, we're a pro-growth organization in that um, we know that we as a community can't have the things that we want to have for amenities, that we can't give people access to a better life tomorrow than they had today if sure. we aren't growing jobs and raising wages and all of those things. But those don't, we believe and I believe, don't have to come at the cost of destroying the thing we love about this place that is so special, which is that, in my opinion, and many's is not just the beautiful nature of the place, but the really exceptional relationship that the community has with each other. Absolutely. And the place, too. Um, thinking about that, something you just said struck me. I mean, yes, we you only get one opportunity to get it right, in a way. And we can all think of places, like I've heard this described about Missoula, I don't want it to become X, or I don't want it to come become wise. So people have a pretty clear conception of um, places that didn't seize that opportunity. Yeah. Um, do you have examples of places that have done this well? You know, people uh, not can, that we're trying to model no. ourselves after this, but hey, That's what's right. a community that, that really did this well? Um, I don't. Okay. That's the honest answer. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I, I, we're, we're exploring that now to try to figure out who's done this right. Um, I'm not sure that anyone has gotten it right yet. Mm. Um, I, I look at a lot of the places that I enjoyed growing up or enjoyed visiting as a tourist, and I'm not sure there are places that give people who grew up there the same sense that they have a, a home and a community that they once had. Um, I, think it's, I think it's exciting to be in a place where we've seen other communities maybe go the wrong direction yeah, yeah, and what lessons we can learn from that. And I think one of the things that strikes me now is how often people tell me we don't want to be town X. Yeah, it yeah. starts with B and it doesn't <laughs> matter which town it is. They always always start with a B. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a few options. We around. don't want to be that, that town. But I, what's, what I hear very little is, but this is what we want to be. Right. And I think what's exciting to me is, um, you know, what I think I was able to do with my team at Five Valleys and with an incredibly supportive and patient community is, is come to understand what I think people wanted in the future and figure out how we as an organization there could try to make a difference to move toward it. Sure. And I am excited at MEP to work with a community of people who I think are just starting to try to figure out how to express what they want to become, not just what they don't want to become. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a really empowering moment when a community can say, we're going to move toward this, not just away from this. Yeah, it makes me think of my experience, you know, with students trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And there's all this pressure at various points in your career where you have to articulate your, your elevator pitch or, hey, what do you want to do in five years or all of that? And and students often are able to express it in terms of what they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And they kind of triangulate on what they want or where they end up based on all these experiences that show them, well, I don't want to do that job and I don't want to do that job, but it moves them or maybe toward an answer. So running away from things isn't necessarily a negative, but it, if used properly, it can help you bring into focus what you do actually want. And that sounds like the process that you're trying to 
kind of put together. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's necessary, when, especially when you have the whole universe of possibility. Yeah. You need to narrow your focus somehow, and, and sort of knowing what you don't want is helpful. And I, But I also believe that um, at some point you do have to define what it is you want, or you will end up with whatever is coming by happenstance. And I think with intention, Like the Verizon store, basically, <laughs> right? Yeah, like a Verizon store. And I think we, you know, obviously it is a free market and there's a lot of complexities to how you grow a community. But I think that to the extent that we put energy towards building something, we should know what we're trying to build sure. together and work toward that in a really positive and affirming way. And, and you know, the, the scary part about saying what you want to accomplish is that sometimes you might fail. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a there's a automatic intimidation factor for defining what success looks like because suddenly you're going to be held accountable to reaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if I have done many things in my life, it has been learning how to fail and being okay with that. And I think that you know that campaign that I ran for Congress was a great example. Sure, there was a really clear winning outcome in that primary race, which was to be the one with the most votes, and I didn't get there. But the uh, experience and the richness that came out of that was really beneficial, and it gave me new tools. And I think it also taught me that you can go through failure in ways that um, that are not permanently painful or detrimental. And I think that helps me have the courage to say it's okay to say what we're going to try to accomplish. And I would much rather fail at trying to accomplish something great for Missoula with Missoula than be afraid to say what it is we should be working toward and afraid to be held accountable to trying to achieve it. Yeah. So can you talk about how mechanically this all works? I mean, so you have these partners that make up the partnership. You got relationships with, with the city. You know, city funds your operation, not exclusively, but they're one of the key funders. You have relationships with the university, all these other things. Like, what are the mechanics of how you kind of influence policy and decisions and, and make stuff happen or not happen. Yeah, so maybe um, maybe can I start at the macro level and then try to work into a few examples? That sounds awesome. If I get distracted and forget them, then just I'll bring, you back. bring me back. Um, you know, at the macro level, I believe what we are trying to do at MEP is just keep the American dream alive, alive right? Um, a generation ago, it was the expectation of young people they would do better than their parents did. Right. And it's sort of the promise this country has made to all of its citizens. Generally, yeah. And I think we have rightfully, and the data support it, uh, the first generation of young people who seriously doubt whether that's possible for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people for whom there is no belief that that will ever happen. And, and it, Well, not only do they believe that, but there's good reasons for them yeah, to believe yeah. that. I mean, with declining life expectancy, we've got stagnant wage growth, all the all these sorts of things. You, you don't need to list them all, but yeah. like these re, these expectations are grounded in kind of the reality of facts yeah. on the ground. No, absolutely. I, I think that's right. Um, so, so in order to sort of rebuild the American dream, I think there is a, a body of knowledge out there that there are certain factors that you can influence. You know, one is, are, are there growing higher paying jobs in a community that are accessible to people? Uh, Is there solid, safe, good infrastructure, whether that's housing or transportation, public transportation infrastructure? Is the educational system good? Is the um, sort of, is the the inputs on children from zero to five positive? Early childhood, all of that. So there are a body of things that are sort of well-documented be the things that allow a society be, to be built in a way that it has some confidence that people will do better than a generation before them. And so many of our partners 
are people whose work directly influences some of those variables, mm -hmm. right? And so our work with those partners ranges in terms of whether we are primarily just there to support a partner, like the University of Montana, and how can we work with the University of Montana to both support its growth around new new students coming in, but also how we can support its relationships with the business community so that the students coming out see the opportunities in front of them and they feel confident that going through school in Missoula, they're going to land in a spot where their talents and their passion are put to work and they're okay. rewarded handsomely for that. Right. Yeah. So that's a way we can work with one partner and we have a sort of whole initiative and I think you covered this on one of your live podcasts with us the, where we partner oh, yeah. with the university and others to work on a what we call talent development, what's traditionally called workforce development, um, where we're helping people build skills and see how those skills can directly be converted into a meaningful, fulfilling, and well-paying career. Sure. So that's a, an example of sort of macro level, education's important, micro level, how do we really work with an individual partner? Um, and then we sort of do that one at a time, and I think the place where we really try to take a better lead is how do we help a company grow? A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, I'm Nora Sachs. I'm the host and reporter of Richest Hill, a podcast from Montana Public Radio, and you're listening to A New Angle. So we are, um, I think you had Joe Anderson on the podcast. Oh, yeah, Reflex so Protect. Reflex Protect. Yeah, I love right? those guys. Um, very, very interesting person, incredible history, passionate about his product. Yes. Uh, does amazing work and had a lot of support from folks on the university to get it off the ground. Mm -hmm. He's really great about acknowledging all those people. So uh, when somebody like Joe has an opportunity to grow higher paying jobs in our community, that's where we can come in and support him in that effort and sort of just try to eliminate some of the barriers. So a barrier to growth for a lot of businesses is the cost of adding an employee. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of risk investing in a new position, not knowing if that position is going to generate enough revenue to mm -hmm. eventually both pay for itself and generate a profit, the training for that staff person. So we are able as a partner with the Missoula County to apply for grants through something called the Big Sky Trust Fund. Okay. And we're a sort of designated partner to do that and help them try to get some grant funds that give them a little bit of a leg up on that initial start of an employee so they can get over the hurdle, be confident in, in making that investment so that we eventually have a longer term high paying job that's paying, you know, our, our mission is to do this in places where the job eventually is paying above median wages so that our work is always trying to raise yeah, the you're raising wage. the bar. Yeah. yeah. So with something like Reflex Protect, so right now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they're still at Montech, housed yeah. at Montech. And so is part of your work also helping that transition to them getting their own space or, or acquiring yeah, so space or those sorts of mechanics as well? So we do, we have something uh, we just call sort of our um, business expansion retention. And so sure. what we have is a, a team of staff who will go out and meet with businesses and there is no cookie cutter formula for this. We just sit down with a business that we either hear by word of mouth or we read about or that we just already know and, and come to understand sort of, are you in a position where you may be able to grow? What are the barriers to that growth and how can we support you yeah. to overcome the barriers and achieve that growth? And so for someone like Joe, it may be a grant. For somebody else, it may be like, I really need a new place. Like we, we run out of room and we've got to find a new place to do our business. And so help us find a place to land where my staff are going to feel healthy and excited to go to work every day. And so that might be a role we play. Uh, for somebody else, you know, we worked with a, a 
an individual looking to develop some commercial real estate, um, specifically light manufacturing. Uh-huh. And, um, they were running into a barrier where the cost of building the facility was sort of really over the top expensive because they had these sewer and water hookups that required running sewer and water lines under Broadway and the railroad tracks and just a really exorbitant cost. And so what we did is just realizing that this was actually a facility that we knew a lot of folks needed in the community, um, sat down and we were able to build because of the proximity of the project to the airport. We were able to pull the city together because of our relationships with that partner and the airport together because of our relationships with that partner and just facilitate a conversation So the partners realized the benefit of supporting that individual business. But in the end, what we generated from that process was an agreement between the city and the airport that allowed the city and airport to sort of share the the right burden of management and ownership of the sewer and water infrastructure to allow for more businesses to hook up at a lower cost and to have essentially a better managed and monitored facility for all water and sewer users in that whole region. Mm -hmm. It saved this one person $500,000 on the cost of their development which would have meant that more businesses in Missoula would be able to use the facility at a cost that they could afford based on their income. So, you know, that's one example where we didn't change the policy, the social laws on the books, but we worked with the partners to figure out how is there, is there a better way to do this that sort of overcomes some of the friction in the process and makes it easier on this company to move forward. And so we have a, a number of exciting kind of homegrown entrepreneurial ventures here in town. I mean, you mentioned Reflex Protect on a larger scale. We've got the submittables and Luminads and the Onyx maps. But then you've got some exciting things happening, like the class passes of the world are investing in Missoula, looking to move here. Does MEP play a role in recruiting companies to, to invest in Missoula? And what's that process looking yeah, so like? Yeah, so I think that it's probably what we are most known for in okay. Missoula. Okay. Um, and frankly, until my tenure, I would say that was where the greatest focus was of MEP. When I came on board, we really re- sort of retooled and took a deep look at sort of our programs and our projects and our energy use relative to our mission. And what, mm-hmm. what I saw, I, uh, we didn't mention that I was on the board of directors at MEP before right. I started. Treasurer previously, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so bo- lo- when I was at Five Valleys, I was on the board of directors. And one of the things that I believed then was that um, we were always looking for this big home run of bringing in a big company. Yeah. And um, for somebody who hasn't played baseball since Little League, it's probably a, wrong for me to think of this analogy, but um, you don't win a lot of baseball games counting on only home runs, right? You sort of right. like singles and doubles mm-hmm. and, and an occasional triple is actually a much more consistent way to just focus on getting a little base hit one after another. And as I looked at the work uh, as a board member and then when I was looking at coming on as a staff person and really did my homework on how these organizations succeed and how economies grow and what happens to the community, it struck me given our the state of our economy in Missoula and the growth we're seeing internally and the challenges we're having around physical growth of affordable housing sure. and affordable office spaces that um, we had a tremendous opportunity to shift our focus from 80% trying to find somebody to come here 
to 80%, how do we support the businesses who are already here and being better and stronger and growing? And by doing that, we thought we could add far more high-paying jobs than just trying to recruit. So yes, we were involved in some of the work that got ClassPass here, but since I've come on board, we are spending less time attracting new companies and much more time trying to help the companies who are already here be more successful and grow jobs. Um, There's a couple of good reasons for that. One is there's a lot of companies here who have tremendous potential to grow right now. Oh, yeah. And the entrepreneurial spirit here in Missoula and Montana is just tremendous. It's tremendous. Um, And so why would we overlook all of that talent and possibility just to try to go out and get a big headline, which it's usually easier to do when you get a big new company to town? Um, And the the other is uh, I really believe that we have very special culture in Missoula that is true of of all people, but it's also true of our business community. And I think our business community is uniquely supportive of one another Hmm. and sort of helping each other grow and become entrepreneurs and be more successful. You know, you look at a few of our tech companies in town, and when I go to have lunch downtown, a lot of times CEOs of these tech companies are actually having lunch together, talking about what they're up to. Yeah. Right? Um, But also, they're also really committed to giving back to the community and and supporting their staff and being involved in philanthropy and volunteerism. And um, there's just a real sense of civic pride that I think is important and powerful. And I think if we can help companies who already buy into that culture and perpetuate that culture be more successful, then we really, I think, diminish the fear and anxiety around what growth looks like in Missoula. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And you know, thinking about that, it makes me wonder, like, when you you say you're on the road and you have to describe the culture of Missoula. How, how, how would you describe it? What does it mean to you? Well, uh, let me uh, let me not talk about being on the road, but maybe to finish your question, when a company does come to town, oh, says, okay, yeah, we're, yeah, we're 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 thinking Missoula might be a good fit. So, what I am excited to be able to talk about is that we have been working with a company called Bedrock Sandals. That is, oh uh, yeah. Uh, so you're familiar with that? I have a pair of Bedrock Sandals. I, I love I, them. I do too, and I love them as well. But they are a Oakland-based company right now, and they had been looking all over the Northwest and the region to figure out where they could put a new home for their headquarters. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking to them for over a year, and basically trying to share with them what it means to be a part of the Missoula community, what it means to be an entrepreneur a business owner here, the benefits to them of having really talented, passionate workforce and people who will show up and work really hard for them. Also, people who are really passionate about their work-life balance and will Mm -hmm. sort of like fulfill, I think, their brand in terms of being a sort of cutting-edge, youthful, outdoor company, making a great product that people believe in. Um, and, and one of the things they wanted to know coming here was, what is the culture of philanthropy? What kind of sort of engagement do businesses have with the community and what does that relationship look like and you know we didn't just tell them it was strong we introduced them to peer companies and they got to meet people that they would be that they will become peers to here in missoula and see for themselves what it means to have a business here to be a business owner and to build a workforce and i think at the end of the day it was uh, not our rivers and our mountains that sold the place, though I think it helped a lot. I think it was that incredible culture and the sort of that they really picked up on the fact that when they came here, what might be perceived as not direct competitors, but people who might compete for workforce or mm-hmm. other things were really supportive and really um, interested in sharing any ideas they had about how they could be more successful here and getting, you know, they just felt a part of the community just in the process of getting to know the place. It sounds like what you're describing there is less recruiting i mean although mep has an interesting growth right so recruiting companies yeah you know we we talked previously about that but more so like hey here's the lay of the land it's we think it's great 
but kind of operating here comes with a set of expectations as well. Yeah, I think that's true. And just, you know, I think it's, I think it's important for us to be honest, right? Because at the end of the day, if we bring a company here and they don't succeed, we have, we've actually done a huge disservice to our whole community because Mm -hmm. those are probably somebody who's going to come in and hire our local people, give them jobs. And if they're unsuccessful after a year or two and they pick up and pull stakes, all we've done is sort of built up false expectations and created a bigger maybe challenge and burden for families that have maybe left a different job to take Mm -hmm. this one. So I think we take very seriously um, being honest about what the pros and cons of coming here are so that when somebody comes, they know what they're getting into and they see themselves as a good fit for Missoula as much as Missoula a good fit for them. It makes me think of like, obviously Bedrock Sandals is an enormously different example than Amazon, right? But like all that was made of Amazon's second headquarters and all the, I mean, it sort of felt like an Olympic bid, right? These communities just sort of leveraging their futures in order to get a sniff at Amazon. and, And the deals just seemed like bad deals for a community. Yeah, or at least, at the very least, a huge gamble. I think we're tremendously fortunate in Missoula because right now we have a strong economy. We have really low unemployment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our biggest challenges are challenges of success, not yeah. challenges of failure around affordable housing and, and all of the rest, uh, education and, and growing, burgeoning schools and school populations. But um, I think there are towns for whom that future is not very bright. And I could certainly understand why they might feel like they got to be all in on an opportunity like that because it's going to make or break their future. I I don't believe that we are, frankly, or that we ever have been in a position like that in Missoula. I think we have a lot going for us. We have a diverse economy. We have a great workforce. We have passionate people. And I think that we can be um, not so selective that we're picking and choosing who comes, which we can't do and nor should we do. But I think when we're going to put energy into recruiting, uh, and we use the term best fit at MEP, we should be really conscious of recruiting the kinds of companies that are going to not only provide high-paying jobs, um, but safe jobs, jobs people are going to feel good about. And it's a company that people are proud to say is right here in Missoula, Montana. So we've got a great and exciting group of employers developing here in town. On a just really diverse set as well. We've got some companies moving in. We've got low unemployment. So there's, there's demand for talent, like as, as you were saying before. And we've had this conversation before. And then we got this university over here that seems to be struggling to get students. And so, if we're as a university, we need to be part of the engine to power this growth. You know, how, how do you sort of view what we're what we're up to here and and, and how do we kind of close this loop of, of yeah. helping students be attracted to the university and see that if they come and study here, there's going to be tremendous career opportunities right out the door? Yeah, I, I think that we have, as a community, uh, we have failed to tell our story. Right. Um, and I think we've let other people tell our story in a way that um, probably brings to light the worst of what's been here in the bunch past. of hippie liberal artsy <laughs> folks over there that... and doesn't really promote all the opportunities yeah. there are here for people to be sure. successful and all the ways people who come here succeed so i think mep has a, a huge responsibility and and a commitment to doing a better job of telling that story you know i talked about some of our shifting priorities yep in the past i think like many nonprofits, mep was so focused on telling the story of why mep is important and valuable sort of missed the forest for the trees and forgot 
that its role was primarily to talk about mm-hmm. what's of value in Missoula for the rest of the world and for people in Missoula. And I think we are really committed now to not telling our story as an organization, but to telling our collective story as a community and really identifying those places where people are being successful, where a company is taking a young talent out of the university, whether it's liberal arts, uh, whether it's somebody who's coming out of the arts subjects or somebody who's coming out of the business school or somebody who's coming out of Missoula College Mm -hmm. um, and is going out into the world and being successful and finding a good living and chasing their dream and building it in a real way. Uh, We have those stories all over the place in this town, but we're not telling them yet. And and we are um, actually in just a few weeks' time going to start a campaign to try to raise some funds to be able to tell that story in a big, bold way so that we're not branding the community by saying, here's who sure. Missoula is. Yep. We're telling Missoula stories in a way that people understand that this place is awesome. And if you, it doesn't matter if you come here as a student, as a person looking for work, or as a person looking to start or build your company. This is a place with tremendous possibility where people are, if you're doing good things, are going to want to help you and where you can be incredibly successful. And I think if we show that that has happened time and time again for people, we can help the university get people excited to come here and be a part of it. We can help our companies attract people here who realize that it's not a big risk that they're coming for one job. And if it doesn't fit, they've moved their entire lives for something that didn't work because there are a lot of really successful, great opportunities here. And if you come, you're going to land in one of those and probably be successful too. Yeah, that storytelling piece is its a tough nut to crack here. For a couple of reasons. One, the diversity of pathways here is incredible. I mean, you go into, I, I, you talk to the entrepreneurs that come into your shop or you go over to the Blackstone Launchpad and you'll have like some cool tech idea, some like, you know, massage idea, uh, just in anything in between, it's just the diversity of types of businesses that are spun up here is incredible. It's incredible. So there's that. And then there's also, and we were talking about this before we started recording, Missoula is an incredible haven of like underground crushers, mm. pro athletes, superstars in media, and, and anything in between, world-class writers, world-class researchers. But nobody kind of wears that on their sleeve. They just walk around. They're part of the community, regular folks. And I think that type of kind of elite folks, at least the the ones that I know in the community, they kind of are drawn to each other in the community because of that reticence to sort of beat their own drum. Yeah. They don't feel like they have to advertise it. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that we talked about this before, one of the things I love most about Missoula is this sort of, um, this sense of sort of quietly extraordinary. Yeah. Um, And I think, I do believe that one can, if told right, share a story in a framework that, to me, that's authentically Missoula, right? The the fact that you have, I I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Um, There is not much quiet about about extraordinary in Boulder, Colorado. You know, everybody does wear it on their sleeve. Right. And and it almost feels like people are competing with one another to be the most extraordinary. Whereas here, I feel like people are um, competing with one another to help the other become more extraordinary on right. a regular basis. Right. And I think um, I think if we get it right and we find the right storytellers, which is you know, giving people a chance to share their story in their own humble but honest way, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, we will both 
capture the spirit of who we are in this town, but we will also attract the kind of people who want to be a part of that. And it'll self-sort for the kinds of people who don't want to be a part of that. And um, which isn't to say that people shouldn't be incredibly proud of things they accomplish and um, and rightfully proud and, and we're proud of them. But I think there's a level of humility here that people bring with their success that that each of us deeply admires in the other. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let me kind of in our in our closing minutes here, kind of push you on the university a little bit. Yeah. I just would love to know what you think we're doing well that we need to do more of and, and, and maybe some of what we're doing that we should stop doing. But more, let's stay positive. So what are we doing well that we should do more of? What would you see us like want to lean into? Yeah, so I, I, am, I am incredibly optimistic about the University of Montana. Yeah. Uh, I think that we have uh, a unique way that our – business community has grown up here. And it's this uh, sort of what I think is quintessentially not just Missoulian, but Montana and this sort of can-do spirit that where you bring this eclectic background and then you focus it on something that only through the unique set of experiences you have can you make something happen. I think the University of Montana is, is importantly staying focused on sort of the breadth of the programs that are successful here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of hype around tech right now, and I think that's important, and I think it's compelling, and I think a lot of young people see a future in tech. So I think what's happening with some of the partnerships out in the community to try to help our companies grow, to help, you know, one thing that's been really fun to watch and I think is so important is losing this sort of partner-in-place idea, this idea that... This institution, yes, it needs to attract more out-of-state students. Yes, it should be attracting international students. We should have diverse ideas. We should be growing the student body here. But at the end of the day, we should be looking into our community to figure out how do we help people who have the capacity and desire to learn throughout their entire lives yes. develop a, a new set of skills, whether it's just a, a tiny bit of a, a, an opening of your mind around thinking of a problem differently or it's actually redeveloping a career path. And I think the University of Montana is doing some really exciting things right now at the college, at the School of Business, and across the board to say, you know, we want to, we see these new economies emerging and we want to be really responsive to how they're changing so that people can adapt quickly through learning to be a part of those success stories. I think that's really exciting. And I think it really is the, probably the future of education to be nimble, to be more responsive. And, and, there's a limit to what you can do at a university level, right? This is a big bureaucracy, and there are a lot of controls that are at the region's level. So I also appreciate there's probably not as much flexibility here as some people would love to see. But I think given the constraints that a lot of effort is being put into that sort of nimble approach to reacting to the times. The institutions are not necessarily designed for agility, right? Yeah. And they're sometimes they're intentionally and for some valuable reasons designed to move slowly. Yet, I think if we continue to move, well, we're moving fast on some dimensions and slowly on others. And the dimensions you mentioned, I think, are really important. You know, we talk a lot about lifelong learning. Yeah. You know, and, and the, 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 the arcs of careers and the fact that students are graduating and will have jobs 10 years from now that we can't even really predict. you got to have a relationship with education for your entire working life. Whether it's paying tuition that whole time or not, um, but the four-year degree, I mean, it's sort of, in many ways, an obsolete construct. Yeah, I think um, I think that's probably true. I think the way we think about sort of having access to, well, uh, 
information and learning are not necessarily the same thing. Correct. Right? And so we yeah. have access to this information on in our my phones pocket. all the time. But do we really teach people how to step back and be critical thinkers? And mm -hmm. you know, this is something you you talked about my wife being a part of the university. We we talk a lot about this together and I think we talk a lot about this with our young child is um, there's a lot of work right now and forces in the world right now that really encourage you to see things in simple terms, in yeah. black and white, yep. in right and wrong, in yes or no. And and I think all of the great problems of our time and going forward are the ones that we are only understand how to address if we're sort of willing to work in the complexity of the middle ground. Um, and so seeing nuance and understanding how to sort of be critical thinkers and, and learning how to find um, truth and reality in the sort of world and sphere of inundation of information is really important. And some of that is just teaching people how to be deeper critical thinkers. And I think that's something you can't learn with Google. Mm -hmm. And I, so I, th I, say, I think there's a real role for educational institutions to sort of help people through the learning process in their entire life. And I think this idea of being more adaptive and responsive to sort of that lifelong learner, you know, and what that content looks like and how people ingest it, I don't know. But I think there will always be a place for somebody to help curate sure. the learning experience and give people the confidence that they're developing tools beyond just the information they're ingesting. And so last question, Grant. You know, I don't know what your time horizon is at MEP or kind of what you're thinking of it, but you know, five years from now, ten years from now, what do you if 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 your if your tenure there were to be deemed a success, what are some of the outcomes you're looking for? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, yeah, you know, I I think of roles as a CEO in ten year chunks. I think, um, I think you, it's easy to. I think it's important to set goals that are only measured at that sort of decadal scale, which doesn't sure. mean I don't expect to be held accountable for goals on an annual basis. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, I think what I what I would like to see when I'm done is that that there's a genuine belief in this town um, that our growing economy is helping everyone here, and frankly, yeah. there's a an appreciation for economic development across the board so that people understand that um, I think there's a cynicism right now because of that divide of the haves and have-nots in our world. There's a mm -hmm. cynicism that business and economic development is the pursuit of, of adding more profitability to the people who already have so much. Um, that is not the spirit with which MEP pursues its work. It's not the spirit with which I think Missoulians are looking for us to grow our economy. And I think that... Um, you know, we don't believe that wealth is a zero-sum game where we only grow it for some people by right. taking it from others. We can grow the pot here. And I think if I'm in 10 years, people feel that this is an organization and this is an economy that benefits them the way that people felt like conservation was benefiting them when I left Five Valleys in this community and across this county, uh, I will consider it a success. That's awesome stuff. I can't wait to see it happen. Grant, thanks for coming by. Thanks for the work you're doing. And uh, best of luck down the road. It was fun to be here. Thanks, Justin. All right. Really enjoyed that one. And I hope that you did too. Coming up next week, we've got something special for you folks. It's episode 100 and we're bringing back a familiar voice. Stay tuned for that surprise next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hansen. 
And remember that a new angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.